0: On this episode, I'm going to be talking to Alex Charlton. Alex is a senior vice president at Verve. He leads a team of experts in delivering insights, planning, and strategic solutions to global clients across various industries. He believes in human intelligence and putting human truths at the heart of decision-making. Welcome, Alex. How are you today? Nice to see you today. I'm very well, thank you. (laughs) How are you? I should say, hola, como esta? And uh, que tal? You're in Colombia, correct?
1: Yes, very good. And I'm also impressed with your Spanish. That was good pronunciation. <laughs> I'm only intermediate. I hasten to add. I'm, I'm still on a learning journey with that one.
0: Yeah, I can be dangerous with a few words and that's about it. I, I think I just used up my whole vocabulary. Well, I want to welcome you. You have quite an interesting background. You've done many different things. You've been an entrepreneur, a consultant. You've led teams at Verve. And I'm curious, walk me through some of the aha moments that have really shaped you and your views on marketing that have put you on the path that you are now. That's an interesting question. I was reflecting before today's
1: today's podcast, I was reflecting on some of the kind of bigger landmark type projects I've worked on and the ones that shaped my views on the world of marketing, marketing strategy, consumer insights, and all that good stuff. And there have been some big ones. You know... Earlier on in your career, you occasionally get these projects, these briefs land on your desk, and you they're awesome. You think, wow, this is such a cool project. But there's also that moment of terror when you think, can I do this? <laughs> like, seriously, can I help this multi-million, if not multi-billion dollar company answer this big question? And this is what shapes us and makes us as professional services individuals. And these are the projects that test us and we learn a lot from, so... I'm going to think right back to a project that landed on my desk for Microsoft Advertising and LVMH. It was helping, you know, the world's largest luxury group understand the world of uh, digital advertising and what they should be doing. And, you know, and it's like I said, it's one of those projects that you think, good grief, this is awesome. But how are we ever going to approach this? And, you know, you go on a journey and at the end you kind of realize I actually did that. And But you learn what works, and then you apply it to the next big brief and you learn what works and you slowly, slowly adapt and get better. I mean, we're all still learning, right? None of us are complete, complete humans. So I'm still learning today, but you know, if I had to think back, like I said, that would be one, that big brief that landed on the desk. And you know, just how we approached that, which was in a really consultative manner. You know, I think when you get one of these big briefs from a huge prestigious client, partnership is key you've got to be not a research supplier, but a research partner. You can't think you know your client's business better than they do. And you've got to absolutely leverage their knowledge of their business and their sector. And you've got to get access to those internal stakeholders. So you can do some upfront stakeholder interviews just to really kind of help you get to grips with the context and with the known knowns, you know, what the client already knows. You don't want to be coming back at the end of a six week or six month project and telling the client things they already know. So you know, that partnership is key and having a process in place, you know, an, an iterative process. So, you know, if it's that really kind of big question, you want to, be able to break it down and you want to be able to go on a learning journey with the client too. You've got to go on a journey together so that at the end, you don't come back with something that's kind of a surprise to everybody, you know, and it's potentially too big a shift or requires too much change. you have got to go on that graduated journey together. So, yeah, partnership and process are key. As our people, you know, it's about, especially if it's a big question like that, a big brief, you've got to sort of draw upon. We're so lucky today. I remember when we were speaking a couple of weeks ago, I think I was riffing on how good it is to be a consumer insights professional today because we have so many tools at our disposal today. I mean, it makes what we do such fun. And I think like tremendously creative It's the reason I'm still in this industry after 20 something years which is just, it's creative, you know, it's fun. You know, you get to learn and draw upon all these wonderful people with different backgrounds, whether that's behavioural science or whether that's semiotics or whether that's anthropology or sociology or cultural trends analysis or now experts in artificial intelligence. So it's just making sure you've got a really cool team who can bring different perspectives on a big problem. So in terms of aha moment, that brief that landed on my desk, ooh,
0: I want to get into this partnership with you in a minute, but before we do that, I want to even go back further. Where did you start out and how did you get into the inside space? Was that something you wanted from early on or is that a couple of twists and turns or some aha moments that got you to where you are? I wanted to do marketing strategy.
1: So I studied business and marketing at university. I was very fortunate in that my degree necessitated a year in industry before we'd even finished uni. So my third year was actually spent working with Unilever as a category marketing analyst. I had long hair. I was a bit of a hippie because I'd just come from my second year at university. By the end of that year, I purposely waited to the last month to cut my hair. You know, I thought, no, I'm going to keep the long hair. But that formed me. Like Unilever, know their onions, you know. And I learned so much being a category marketing analyst at Unilever for that year. And then when I left uni, my path kind of was already set. I knew what I wanted to do. Got into marketing analysis initially. And then been traveling around the world for a year and a half, as you do, and but again, I was lucky. Like when I got to Sydney, Australia, I got an awesome job as a marketing analyst for Fairfax Media. I think they're part of NINE. So I was doing sort of early digital marketing analysis work back. Then, that was like two thousand. My good grief, getting old. And then when I returned to the UK to London, I took a couple of contracting jobs, and one of the jobs I was told was for BBC World Service. So. I dressed up in my best suit and my tie because it's bbc world service right and i turned up on day one and actually it wasn't bbc world service it was bbc new media and technology so it was quite the opposite culture it was t-shirt and sneakers by an hour in i'd lost the jacket by lunchtime i'd lost the tie and the next day i was in the uniform of uh, the media uniform the t-shirt and sneakers so and that's how i got into it because that was a research role a consumer insights role and You know, they obviously saw something in me and managed to keep me on and took it from there.
0: So going back to partnerships, you know, many times people say that in the industry, you need to be a partner with your client. I'm curious, what are the three components that you say that truly define a partnership with a client for you?
1: Well, okay, I'm not sure I can think of three components off the top of my head, but I'll do my best. There may be more, I warn you now. One, I think is kind of mutual respect. You've got to respect what your partner knows about their side of the table, because if your agency and their client side, like I said, up front, they're going to know a ton of stuff about their business that you just don't know. So it's mutual respect, communication. Absolutely. Like I said before, if you're working on, in fact, it's not just the big briefs, it's any brief. You want to go on a learning journey together. You don't want to take the brief away and come back in six weeks or six months with the answer. You want to involve your client throughout because it's going to make a better product at the end of the day. You're gonna do better work if you involve your client at every stage. Yeah, what have we got? We've got respect, we've got communication. I would say actually openness is key. So if you get into, I was just talking yesterday actually with my colleagues, not one of my colleagues, a former client of one of my colleagues who raised this story about when he was at my colleagues at this previous agency, he'd really impressed this individual who was client side because they'd gotten into this study and midway through, My colleague realised there was some sort of error. There was something not right with the research, and he was just open and honest with the client side, with the client about it. And that openness is key. You know, you've got to be open with each other. And if mistakes have been made, or if things could be done better, you need to be open and transparent. You need to communicate that as quickly as possible, because ultimately you're on the same side. We're all on one team. We all want to do a great job. There you go. There you're free. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you got it. You know, it's interesting. You, you touch upon some certain things that I think you guys even a little more deeper discussion. When you talk about communication, one of the facts you said is that you don't know more than the client. I think that's very true. But I think part of developing this strong relationship and openness is asking the right questions to get your client to think, right? And a lot of times the clients think a certain way because they've always done things a certain way. It's not their fault. It's just that's what happens, Right. But I think if a true consultant comes on, they start, they don't know the answers, but they know how to ask the questions to get at the answers that hopefully the two of you can get the answers to. You may, neither one of you might know the answers, but I think a lot of it is just asking the right questions, thought-provoking insights and discussions and conversations that get you to the next level. And that, I think, is what contributes to the openness. What do you think of that?
1: I think you're 100% right, because once the client knows... uh just you know, a heap, a ton about their business and what they're doing, you maybe have a slightly better industry oversight in the sense that you're working with a whole bunch of different clients in that sector, in, also in adjacent sectors. And you can draw upon your experiences elsewhere to challenge the client, what that client or what that business is doing and the kind of inherited thoughts, the inherited beliefs. So yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: So I'm curious now, if you were to advise a client, what are the best ways a client can tap into a good consultant and get the best out of it? Because sometimes clients need a little bit of guiding too, right? In terms of how to get the best out of a consultant to get to this level of true partnership, because I think once you get to this level of partnership, some amazing things can happen with that collaboration.
1: You know, I think trust would be a key component. You know, the projects I've worked on that have had the most impact and, have had the most impact and have run the most smoothly are the ones where the client trusts you to get on with the job that you're being paid to do. So you involve them and they want to be involved at key decision-making sort of junctions in the project, but otherwise they're going to let you run with it. They're going to trust you to get on with the job that they've employed you with. So that for me would be key. And that's often a learning journey for the client too. And in my experience, I found that the more senior the client, the more willing they are to kind of let you get on with the job at times, not least because they don't have time. They don't have time to micromanage every aspect of the job. They don't want to. That's what they're paying you for, right?
0: I'm curious, what are some insights? You're working on a project, you had a key insight that totally really changed the way you think about moving forward with other projects and marketing and some insights that really, you know, reshape the way you think and view the world.
1: Well, they would be ones, frankly, where I've drawn on the experience and the skills of colleagues who have very specific skill sets, you know, like involving a behavioral scientist in a project, for instance, that can, you know, when you come from a more traditional consumer insights background, I know behavioral science right now is kind of ingrained in our profession, and it's just the way we do things, but that wasn't always the case. No, I cast my mind back even 10 years and that wasn't the case. And I've worked on projects with behavioral scientists that have over the years that have really opened my eyes to actually human decision making and actually taking into account the fact that people aren't rational. They don't always make decisions that are in their own best interests. And it changes your perspective and it changes how you approach research and consumer insights and marketing strategies. So for me, it would be those projects where I've involved people with some of the more kind of specialist skill sets. And I don't mean to just single out behavioural science equally. I've worked with semioticians who have been absolutely brilliant culture and trends and our analysts too. So for me, it's working with... And that's why I love my job, because we can learn so much from the people around us. You know, I will never be a semiotician or a behavioural science expert. My door is always open. I always want to learn. Those are the ones where I've learned the most and it's changed my perspective
0: you have an example or a story you can share with us that gives us an idea of how you collaborated with those specialists yeah so there was
1: a probably there have been so many projects Good grief! there was a project that i led for Thinkbox, which is the uk's television advertising kind of insights hothouse we were doing it, it was a huge study it was one of these kind of huge studies about what is the consumer relationship with 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 television and what does it mean for advertising? And that, and even I think oh, I think this was about twenty fifteen, maybe twenty sixteen. Even that then, like consumer relationship with television was so multifaceted because, like, which screen are we talking about? Are we talking linear, sort of live? Or are we talking on demand? So on and so forth. Which context? At home with other people. Involving behavioral scientists in that project was um, particularly eye opening. I remember one of the things we did was we used their mobile diary to sort of understand people's. It was like their mental availability. And all this kind of stuff, you know, like actually how people engage with television after a hard day's work, what mental availability they have, and various other kind of facets, which just found eye opening, you know, and we actually were able to track that then against their engagement with advertising and ability to recall advertising. It was amazing. We managed to identify a number of different quite specific uh, viewing occasions, and we were able to around that really profile them in detail in terms of like what the consumer mindset was, what the level of engagement was, what their availability to consume advertising was, what kind of advertising they were kind of in the market for at that moment in time. So, and that was working with behavioral scientists.
0: So tell me, you've worked a lot on on believing in human intelligence, and now we're living in a world swing with data. I'm curious, how do you balance the two and, and where do you see things headed now?
1: Well, that's a good question. Actually, it's one thing at Verve, like we have essentially alighted upon an ethos of combining the best of human plus cultural plus artificial intelligence, because kind of these tripartite way of understanding the world is um, brings together all those different tools we've got to play with. So, I mean, that kind of human-centric approach is crucial, right, to understanding human decision-making, what humans will be doing tomorrow and what human needs are. So starting with that is key. And whether that's through... Direct questioning or observation, or whether that's through the involvement of behavioural science or other approaches, is really crucial. But then it's about laying on top of that the things that humans can't tell you or that you can't observe by watching humans. So then it is understanding the kind of the macro socio-cultural factors at play, which ultimately guide and why we think what we think and what we do what we do because. You know, the average person on the street, if you ask them why they do what they do, they're going to give you a response, right? But it's probably not going to be as deep as you need it to be. And ultimately, we're kind of, we don't have enough time in our lives, enough bandwidth to sit back and think about, crikey, why do I do what I do? So that's where leaning on the skills of cultural analysts and sociologists comes into play. And combining that with kind of all the good stuff you can get from artificial intelligence now, it's that kind of richness you can get from approaching a question, a brief from different angles.
0: Yeah, I think relying on all three can eliminate some of the blind spots, right? Because people will answer a certain way, but how they behave might be actually different. That can be supported with data-driven in terms of seeing actual behaviors. But a lot of times just relying only on the data doesn't get you at the underlying triggers and motivators that are actually driving that as well. So I think you really do need the balance. And the good news is you have a lot at your fingertips now in terms of understanding. But the downside is there's a lot of data that it can be swimming in and can produce a lot of noise as well. So how do you ferret through the noise versus the real insights?
1: You know, so much of our consumer experience nowadays is digitized. So it's such a temptation for companies who have all that first party digital data about what their customers are doing. It's such a temptation just to just kind of rely on that, not go any further, but you never really get to the why behind the what if you just do that and you never get to understand what people are doing when they're not on your platform so that's where involving those different facets of uh, consumer insight come from looking beyond the noise to find the insights and the story i mean that's what we do as sort of professionals right or ultimately we're not just looking at data you know we're trying to answer a question right we're trying to answer a client brief and so being a good consumer insight professional or marketing strategist or marketing analyst is about understanding what that signal is amongst the noise the bits that are relevant to the question you're trying to answer and not being afraid to park that other stuff, leave that other stuff to the side. As interesting as it might be, if it's not relevant to the question you're answering, you'll probably best serve leaving that to one side. How do you define insight? Uh, that's a good question. I should probably have a more, uh, after 25 years in the industry, I should probably have a kind of ready go-to response to that. For me, it's um, joining the dots between two pieces of information in a way that's relevant to the client's brief. And being relevant to the client's brief is the critical part, right? You know, like it's something can still be an insight, but if it's not relevant to the question you're answering, just leave it to one side, put it in the appendix, for goodness sake. I think this is the issue with us being in the consumer insights profession We're curious by our nature. And we love discovering things about consumers, about the way we behave, about why, about what people are doing. And, you know, our temptation is always to show everything to our client, you know, come to them with everything we've learned in a project. That's counterproductive. Usually we really need to limit ourselves to the insights that are relevant to the client's brief. They're going to help them make critical business decisions and ultimately become more profitable.
0: So tell me, what role are you seeing AI play in your work and in, in, in the inside space now? And how do you think it's going to shape it and move it moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, so many different ways and it's evolving so quickly, it's hard for us to keep on top of it, isn't it? But I tell you the, how we use the verb is to do the heavy lifting. It allows us to ultimately tap into huge data sets that previously were just too large and too unstructured to make sense of in any kind of economical, viable way. So I'll give you an example. We work on a lot of innovation projects. And in innovation projects, especially early stage, one thing we're trying to do is look at a particular category look at the conversations that're taking place not just about our clients brand and our clients products but about other brands and products in that vertical and we're trying to do things like you know find consumer pain points find unmet needs because obviously if you're looking at early stage innovation this can be a fantastic springboard for npd so some of the things now that ai allows us to do is particularly the tool that we've got at verve It allows us to take, for instance, product reviews or conversations taking place on third party spaces, such as Amazon product reviews, or if it's a product reviews about movies or television, it could be product reviews taking place on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDB. It allows us to take that and analyze it in a way that previously wouldn't have been possible. So we did a project for a client, and they were innovating in the grilling sector and I think we took 97,000 product reviews, and we were able to run it through the AI. And the AI is clever, right? It's not just looking at words; it's not just looking at simple sentiment. Ah, oh, positive review, negative review. It's looking at the meaning behind the words. It's finding themes. It can cluster the different reviews by the kind of by the underlying themes that are being expressed. And it can also look at the consumer emotions, you know, not just positive or negative, but joy, disgust, anger, all that good stuff. So that's how one of the ways that we use it. Another way we use it is to look at brand and con stuff. So semiotics is such a fantastic tool, but a single human semiotician, they can only review so many individual pieces of creative or so many, whatever the material is you're asking them to look at. So we use our tool because it can look at images as well as text. We can point to the Instagram. So we've worked on projects before for brands, wishing to understand the kind of the comm space and the brand positioning of other brands in their sector. So we can, for instance, look at Instagram. And we can look at all the different kind of brand accounts, not just for our client, but for the competitors within a given sector. And we can do essentially semiotics at scale. We can look at 12,000, 20,000 Instagram posts. The AI will pull them apart. It's trained on semiotics it will pull them apart, it will cluster them and we can then position our clients' brands and also their competitor brands in that space and we can help find the white space within that, you know, potential. We combine it obviously with other forms of research to then find potential areas to move to or stretch to. It can allow us to do, it's a tool, right, Darshan? It's a tool. Sure. So it allows us to work at scale in a way we've not been able to see before. Now it, it also allows us to make use of All that conversation that's taking place out there right now about our clients, brands, and products. It's about, I really believe, or we really believe, a verb about insight without asking as much as possible. Save that asking the consumer stuff for the moments when you really need to, because that's a precious resource. People's attention is a precious resource. If you can get to answers without asking the individual, just by, for instance, looking at social media, looking at product reviews, Then you combine that with a kind of human intelligence approach and actually whether it's groups or whether it's steps or whether it's expert interviews, whatever it might be, you combine that with that. So
0: I'm curious talking about these tools, I think it's quite interesting you're talking about AI and all these tools. How has your mix of gathering insights changed? In other words, how much do you rely on these tools versus doing primary direct research? I have a sense the mix has changed. And if so, how? I mean, you know, five years ago, who was using AI.
1: So I go back to that tripartite approach. It's very much at the crux of what we do, particularly with those kind of big briefs that come in. So it's that balance, you know. We'll typically never, I can't think of a project where we've just used AI, you know. I can't think of a project where we've just used our culture and trends team, but I can think of plenty of projects where we've combined qualitative and quantitative approaches with some culture and trends analysis with some ai analysis so like i said it's just it's about balance and it's about being able to pick up different tools from the toolkit and that's how you answer those big briefs you know i wish 10 years ago in my career when those kind of big billion dollar briefs had landed on my desk i wish i'd had all those tools to use which is why it's such a wonderful place we're in right now today you know and i'm sure in 10 years time it will be even better, you know, but now we've got so many tools to choose from. We're so lucky. We can really approach those big briefs with confidence today.
0: Are you finding the insights are more insightful now as a result or on par with what was even before?
1: That's a good question because it makes me reflect upon my own work over the years and question it. You know, it's a kind of uh, it's a counterfactual, isn't it? I would love to be able to go back in time and redo some of those big projects with the tools that I've got at my disposal today. It'd be interesting to see how the outputs would change. I like to think we did a pretty solid job back then, but I'm also pretty sure if we'd been able to analyze social media data and third-party product reviews at scale and bring in, you know, more behavioral science elements and, and all the rest of it, I am pretty sure we could have elevated things and taken things to another level. So yeah, I've got to say that, look, We can respond to clients' briefs with more certainty than ever today because we're able to review a broader spectrum of data and analyze it with just many different approaches.
0: Yeah, I think if I would probably think that the insights have not changed much. But I think you have more confidence in the insights that you have now because you're sitting on a larger pool of data, correct, with more people. So I think you have a little more confidence in the data and the insights that you're having. Whereas before, to get that level of scale was virtually impossible time-wise and money-wise. But now you can get it at your fingertips. So you have a little more confidence in the insights you're getting. Would you agree with that?
1: hundred percent. I think you've just said what I said, but better and more succinctly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can only say it because you said it and I had the time to think about it to say it. (laughs) I think it's interesting because I think ultimately insights are insights and they're powerful on their own. But I think what is different now that you can with all these tools and the balance you're talking about, you can have a little more confidence in those insights that you might've lacked before. And therefore you can actually make some Better business decisions on uh, real intelligence you can count on. So where do you see things going for you in the future? And I guess maybe more particular, if you were to encounter a 21-year-old Alex after a career of over 20 years in this industry, what advice would you give the younger 21-year-old Alex? Don't do it. Don't do it.
1: <laughs>
0: I doubt that's the case because I think you probably encourage that 20-year-old more, but you give them some tips on how to do it even maybe... Uh, faster or more in an interesting way than you might have originally envisioned?
1: I'd say get on top of AI, embrace it. You know, AI isn't coming for AI, it's coming for some jobs. AI isn't coming for our jobs, but the people who are coming for our jobs are the people who understand how to use AI. So get on top of AI as quickly as you can now in your career. And it's not the be all and end all, but understand how to harness it, understand where its strengths and weaknesses lie. And, you just do as I like to think I did in my career, which was just be a magpie, you know? Just look both within your industry and outside of your industry for inspiration. Take what you can from different places that will help you, the tools and the approaches that you can use to help you answer questions, help you problem-solve. Essentially, what we were kind of experts in in this industry is problem-solving.
0: Ultimately, yeah, we're, we're ultimately solving problems. But I think the thing with AI, some people or maybe overly scared of it. I mean, to me, first of all, AI is, I'm not sure it's truly artificial intelligence. To me, it's much more automated intelligence. And so, but ultimately to tap into AI's potential, you still need the human input in terms of which direction to go to, what questions you want answered. You know, what do you want it to analyze? How do you want, I mean, it still needs that. It can do process a lot of data, a lot of information very quickly, faster than we can, but it still needs that initial input to give it the direction. What do you think yeah 100 percent. and
1: also the back-end interpretation like the ai is unlikely to print out the answer to the client's brief you know it's just the tool we use but you know just do learn how to use the tool and it's not one tool it's many tools obviously do learn how to use the tools keep across it as it progresses because it's progressing at an incredible pace and don't yeah like you said don't be afraid of it like i said it's not coming for your job but people who understand how to use ai they are coming for your job if you don't understand how to use AI.
0: I think those people who remain curious and are focused on solving problems, they should never worry about AI taking their jobs, right? I mean, that is something that is still gonna be needed between now and a long time from now. And that is those people who are thinkers, doers, and know and are focused on solving problems because you're still gonna need that human element of ferreting through a lot of noise, a lot of information, and still gleaning those insights but ultimately, asking the right questions to get to those insights. So tell me, what area of insights or human intelligence would you like to delve into more and why?
1: Well, without wishing to sound like a broken record, but for me, AI is very exciting. And I think we're, we're only in the foothills of what it can do. And we're certainly constantly looking around for... Because there are so many AI startups now. There are so many companies who claim to have AI, but it's not really AI, as I think you alluded to. We're always on the lookout for how AI can improve what we do, whether that's through helping us do the heavy lifting and analyze huge unstructured data sets at scale, whether that's through other approaches such as conversational research. That's something like we're, we're big on at For Let's just keep an eye out how to it can not only improve the experience for us researchers and become like kind of, like I said, a tool or a machine that can help us do the heavy lifting, but also potentially how it can improve the respondent experience, you know, and how we can create slightly more adaptive research approaches, you know, approaches that are more akin to a mix of qualitative and quantitative research and get a lot more richness out of that time, that precious time that we have with a consumer if they're actually participating in some search with us. Let's see how we can use AI to actually get more out of that interaction. I think there's a lot of scope there, and we're very excited about that. At can
0: you share with us some of the tools you've discovered that have really blown away your perceptions and helped you in terms of some AI tools and platforms that you really like and why?
1: I'm going to be heavily biased and talk about our own tool because, although unashamedly, because our tool, Ignite AI, looked out there on the market. I mean I was at Quirks in July and you know maybe 25% of the sessions were on were on AI or things claiming to be AI. And for the most part it was nothing terribly earth shattering, but we kind of already mentioned the tool that we use, it was designed by consumer insight professionals for consumer insight professionals. This thing as well as the whole kind of chat GPT large language model stuff. You know, it's been trained on semiotics. It can pull apart an image across a thousand and twenty-four different vectors. It's been trained on Jungian archetypes. It's been trained on Schwartz human values. You have to see it to believe it. But it really allows you to go, you know, beyond the written word or the, you know, the still image to a level far deeper and start to approach what we do as consumer insight professionals. And this tool is only going to get stronger. You know, like I said, we're in the foothills right now of AI. Like, it's so exciting. Fast forward three years when hopefully we're having this conversation again or two years, the abilities, the things we're able to do, who knows? I mean, one can only imagine.
0: Interesting. So if you were to have lunch with anyone in the world of consumer insights, research, or marketing, who would you want to have that lunch with and why?
1: I think probably Rory Sutherland. I think I'm fascinated by him. I think he's brilliant. I think he's a fantastic speaker. I love his insights. He's passionate about behavioural science as well. And I can't get enough of his content. So if you haven't already listened to his various podcasts he's been on or YouTube videos that he's been on, please do seek him out because I think he's a bloody genius.
0: Well, I actually do look forward to having a conversation with you in a couple of years and seeing where AI has taken the world as well as uh, your world of insights. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, compare that, what we're talking about today and how things have changed in maybe a year or two from now as well. And so I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you and learning about insights and AI. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com and make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.